Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Welcome to Authentic Living. This is Andrea Matthews. You know, what is sacred to one of us may not be to another, but there is a sense of the sacred in all of us. We're going to be exploring the sacred today as we talk to Dr. Jonathan Ellerby, author of Return to the Sacred, Ancient Pathways to Spiritual Awakening. Jonathan has his Ph.D. in comparative religions and has spent more than 20 years exploring spirituality, healing, and consciousness all over the world, working with spiritual teachers from over 40 different cultures. Notable among those was the 15 years spent under the mentorship of a Lakota Sioux Native American healer and seven with a Venda African healer. Jonathan is a spiritual program director of the highly acclaimed Canyon Ranch Health Resort and an interfaith minister working as a healer, a teacher, and a consultant in an array of settings including hospitals, major corporations, prisons, community groups, and conferences. As Jonathan will attest, there are many pathways to spiritual awakening, and we hope that this exploration today can help you, our listeners, to become more aware of your own unique pathway. Welcome, Jonathan, to the show. I'm so glad you took of your time to help our listeners understand something about the sacred today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay. Well, I want to spend a little time just talking about sacredness and what that is. Can you help our listeners understand what is, what does it mean when we talk about being sacred? What is the sacred? Well, it's a great place to start, and I think the struggle for a lot of people, sometimes they confuse the word uh, the sacred as being like a noun, meaning it's a thing, like we're talking about God, or we're talking about a certain kind of energy, or we're talking about a certain uh, presence in the world, versus the sacred as an experience. And what I believe, and I think you really already alluded this to the introduction, is that the conversation gets really complicated when we try to name it as a thing because the reality is sacredness is something that anyone can experience, whether they're religious or not, whether they're spiritual or not, uh, whether they're an atheist, because sacredness is a feeling. So the feeling of something as being sacred is typically you know, um, a very powerful personal, immediate feeling of, of respect, of reverence, uh, a sense of implicit importance. And there also seems to come with it a kind of sense of perspective. So let me just quickly give you a couple of examples so people can see how, how commonplace this experience can be. And then maybe I can jump to sort of the, the, the bigger picture that some people think of. You know, sometimes people will go to a, a, a sports event or even a musical performance. You know, that's a great example. Someone goes to a, a concert, and there's a moment where, you know, the musicians are so in sync, and, and the audience is moving together as one, and, and you're having this, this moment in which, you know, you, you can't put it into words, but your breath is taken away, and you, maybe you feel moved to, to tears or emotion, and there's this sense 
that in that moment that, that life is beautiful and that good things are always possible and that somehow whatever you've been struggling with, you have been lifted above. And ultimately, why? I mean, because you're, you know, uh, seeing your favorite rock group or you're at a, at a concert hall. So it doesn't mean that the rock group is implicitly sacred. It doesn't mean the concert hall is implicitly sacred, but it means that the capacity to feel it is ever-present. It's, it's everywhere. Sometimes people feel it with their kids. They have that moment, and suddenly they're just in awe of their innocence. They feel all the worries of their day melt, you know, when the little child comes forward and, and, and just offers them a hug. For some people, it's even with their pets. They go for a walk, and it's just connecting with nature. And all again, there's this feeling of being, you know, people describe it as being centered, feeling a sense of connection, feeling a sense of, of, of implicit beauty and truth in that moment. And so the experience of the sacred can happen anytime and anywhere, and, and that's <clears throat> really... What I'm trying to help people understand is it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be metaphysical and lofty. It can be ever-present and every day. Now, I will add, however, that if you continue to pay attention to the things that lead you to a sacred feeling, you know, a feeling of sacredness, I do believe that eventually they will take you into a relationship with some, with what some people would call the sacred, you know what I'm saying, capital T, capital S, a sense of a higher power, a sense of a spirit in this world, uh, what some people would call God, something greater than the material world, something that transcends all things. But as I said at the beginning, you don't need to start there. You don't need to have the belief to have the experience of sacredness. Okay, well, so that sounds like along the way it's possible that we could sort of get um, confused about that because if we're saying that um, I'm at a rock concert and I'm at one with the crowd and there's this wonderful thing that's happening amongst us all and we recognize it, isn't it possible that we could just say, well, that was because of that particular group and that I just need to follow that particular group around the country? And then Yes, you, you nailed it exactly, actually. That's one of the primary things I try to point out in the beginning of the book that I wrote, Return to the Sacred, which is I think that people are having spiritual experiences all the time and every day. But the problem is we... Um, the language of our culture and the and 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 I kind of hate to say it, but the influence of many of our religious communities has been such that that they leave us confused. If you're not at church, it couldn't possibly be sacred, mm-hmm. right? If it's not approved by your rabbi, it's not necessarily sacred. If it doesn't fit into the box of religion or spirituality, then it's just one of those things. And, and the sad thing is, you know, I think, you you know, again, you pointed this out really well, which is if you don't give yourself the permission or have the perspective that lets you say, hey, that was a sacred moment, you know, that was a special moment. If you don't have that perspective, well, then you just move on to the next moment. Or, as you also pointed out, or you, you blame the situation for the experience. 
right? And you say, oh, well, I've got to follow this rock band all over the place because that's where the sacred is for me. Instead of realizing that the experience of the sacred, just like the experience of love, the experience of inspiration, you know, these are really just different shades of the same thing, that lives within us. And sure, certain people, places, and things may evoke that feeling, may stimulate that feeling, but the feeling's within us. We carry it everywhere we go, and we can have it at any time. In fact, there's even a story, I think it made it into the book, about a fellow who came to a workshop that I was leading, and I was asking the group the question, when do you experience the sacred? So all these people answered, and, and, you know, let's face it, a lot of them, they they were into spirituality, that's why they came, and so one talked about yoga, and one talked about church, and one talked about an experience in nature, and so on and so forth. And this fellow who came, kind of looking for stress management techniques and so on, he said, well, I don't, I don't get it, like, I don't, I don't have that experience, I don't, I don't experience the sacred. And I said, well, hang on a second, and I asked the other people, I said, instead of you know, telling him where you experienced it. Describe what it's like. What are the words for what that feeling is like? So they put words out. We wrote them down. Um, feeling of being inspired. Feeling of being connected. Feeling of being in the moment. These were some of the words that came up. Um, feeling that everything's just going to be okay. Feeling totally comfortable with myself. Those were, you know, some examples of the words. And I said to him, now look at these words. Now, forget what everyone told you about religion, spirituality, and the sacred. When do you feel these things? He said, oh, that's easy. Baseball. And everyone kind of snickered, and I said, no, don't laugh. That's where he experiences it. That's sacredness. Mm-hmm. And he described, you know, he went into detail describing the way time stands still when he goes to a game. The way he feels, you know, uh, this, this sense of, of personal power and clarity when he plays with his friends. Like, that really is where he experiences the sacred. The next step, of course, is can you translate all those qualities that you show in those moments into the rest of your life? Because it's great if you can feel peaceful, connected, loving, and so on when you're in yoga or at church or playing baseball. But then how do you treat your family? How do you treat your coworkers? Can you bring those same qualities to those other experiences of your life? Can you make them sacred too? Right, right. Well, you alluded there to the to the idea that perhaps religion um, can add to the confusion a bit, and so I, I want to talk to you about you've you've studied religion, and so how do you get past that confusion and into the more mystical element of the of the spiritual experience itself that comes from religion. Mm. Well, <clears throat> I guess the way that I've chosen to make sense of religion in my life is to look at my experiences and 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 what I've studied and 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 the people that I've met and and certainly interviewed and so on, and and kind of make sense of it by essentially seeing that the people that are, quote, religious, or let's say religious and spiritual, tend to fall into one of three groups. And this, I think, will help answer your question. We will always find, in fact, I I should say that we find these three groups of people in almost every kind of belief system, including feminism, uh, environmentalism, capitalism, but we're talking about religion and spirituality right now. You will always find group one, 
which is a group of people who tend to be motivated by fear, um, perhaps not always, but tend to be, and their core message is there is only one way. There is only one way to peace or God or enlightenment or whatever. And the reason why I say that there's fear involved is because for group one, it's not just that there's one way for them, it's that the other ways are wrong and that they are threatened by the other ways and actually, you know, would would like to keep everyone away from the other ways. And, of course, they have to use fear to do that. The second group of people we find may say that there's only one way for me, except they go on to say, but, you know, it's okay for other people to have their way. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. So there's tolerance. And within that second group, it can even go so far as respect. Now, let me um, stop you for just a minute yeah, here. We're yeah. going to have to take a break, but I do want to come back to that. So hold your thought on this uh, second yes. group. We'll get back to and two we'll and get three. We'll right back to it in just a minute. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Authentic Living. We're talking today to Dr. Jonathan Ellerby. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Create a life with growth, balance, abundant peace of mind, and joy. Tune in and call into Spirits Evolving with pragmatic psychic and certified hypnotherapist Lee Channing. By using the simple tools for growth offered by Lee, including intuition, color awareness, creative visualization, and more, build a stronger understanding of your own energy and offer clear, unencumbered energy to those with whom you share your life. Whether for an individual or a business, home environment, or your office. Lee evaluates and interacts with the energy at hand, providing an analysis of the problem and a description of the options available to move forward successfully and with grace. Spirits Evolving with Lee Channing broadcast each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the 7th Wave Network, your online community for positive change. Spirits Evolving, your guide toward a life filled with more balance, intention, and contentment. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Your online community for positive change. Seventh Wave Network.
You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And today we're talking to Dr. Jonathan Ellerby about his book, Return to the Sacred, Ancient Pathways to Spiritual Awakening. And Jonathan, you were talking just before the break about uh, two different groups of people, and the second one is where you were when we left. So can you help us again with that group? Yeah, so if anyone just joined us, you know, what we're trying to do is help people make sense of the confusion that we find in religious communities and the messages from spiritual groups. And we can do this, we can clarify some of this by by looking at the, the larger belief systems and then identifying three predominant groups of people that always show up. The first group we talked about was the people who say there's only one way and all the other ways are wrong. The second group is the group of people who say there's one way for me, but I can tolerate or respect the other ways. And in some cases, the second group will even go so far as to be willing to, to taste or experience or touch the other traditions. So, for example, when I used to work in uh, healthcare uh, and ran a spiritual care department, you know, I knew a, um, a Catholic nun who would visit the patients. I also knew that in her personal life, she practiced a Buddhist form of meditation. It didn't stop her from being a Catholic nun. It enhanced her, but she could see that there could be some value in some of the other ways of being in the world. Mm-hmm. So this group, too, is kind of where we see interfaith dialogue. The third group is where we tend to historically find the people that we would call the mystics or the mystical traditions. These are the people who are focused on the direct experience of the divine. So more than focusing on the social group, more than focusing on the social dialogue, they want the direct, immediate connection with the sacred in the deepest ways possible. And the fascinating thing is, not only will you find this kind of breakdown in in every kind of grouping, and uh, as I said, whether it's feminism, politics, or whatever, um, you actually find that the religions literally break into these groups over time. So as an example, um, you have orthodoxy or fundamentalism, which is your first level group, and then you tend to find there's kind of a conservative mainstream that can land in the second group. And then you find the mystical groups like the Zen Buddhists, the Kabbalists, um, the, the Gnostics, uh, the Sufis. You know, And for people who've heard of these traditions that I'm naming, what they know is that these are essentially the mystical sects or divisions of the larger groups. So you see this kind of uh, this sort of spectrum, you know, uh, wherever you go. The thing that's challenging for people to hear, though, <clears throat> is, is a couple things. One, if you don't have this perspective in mind and you can't step back and say, oh, this person's coming from group one or this person's coming from group two, sometimes we just take at face value whatever the people 
or communities around us tell us. So if you are a person who in your heart naturally feels an open sense of spirituality, a willingness to accept the beliefs and uh, traditions of others, but you come from a community that says there's only one way, then you get confused, right? Because, well, then, am I wrong? Am I one of those bad people that they talked about? How could I come from a tradition that was supposedly so great and feel something so truly in my heart and then end up wrong, you know, end up at odds? And so I I don't really think the problem is in the tradition. The, The problem is in the people. You know, and Gandhi said himself a great uh, and a kind of funny thing. He said, you know, I don't have problems with um, Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. He said, I have a problem with Christians and Jews and Muslims. It's what people do with the traditions that make them so wonderful or so horrible. And so as people listen and they think about any area of their life where they may feel confusion about spiritual or religious tradition, you know, Take some time to listen to your heart. Take, take some time for that personal investigation and, and step back from the messages you're getting from the outside world because, let's face it, they're still coming from people and very often from people who are just like you. They're working out their stuff and they're not always seen clearly. Right. Great advice. Great advice. Looking into the heart. That's where we're going to find what's sacred, right? I think so. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because, um, you know, I like to say, you know, the sacred is not what you think. And, 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 and at first, what I mean by that is it's not always the ideas we've been given. You know, like some, you know, I've been with people traveling. <clears throat> we'll walk into a, a sacred site, uh, a cathedral, an ancient synagogue, or even a historic site, uh, 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 ruins from, from a native uh, community of people. And you can tell they want to feel the sacred, and you can even see sometimes they feel awkward if they don't. And then later in the day, you know, the sun is setting, and maybe we're by a lake or a river or something, and something spectacular catches their eye, and they just stop, and they're frozen, and they're taken away by that moment, and they feel just this extraordinary power move through them, and then they go back to their conversation and say, oh, darn it, I wish I experienced the sacred earlier today. Well, they just had it, you know, they were just there. But because it's not what they think, they overlook it. But the second part of that expression, the sacred is not what you think, means that it's really not an idea, it's not a thought, it's a feeling, it's something in your gut, it's something in your heart. And, and you know, uh, there was this uh, famous author, uh, neuroscientist Jill Taylor Bolte, who wrote this book about a stroke that she had in which the left side of her brain, which really controls reasoning and rational function and language and all these, you know, um, you know functions that we associate with the, the mind, with thinkers and intellect, this side of her brain had essentially become disabled temporarily. And what was left when she was functioning out of the right side of her brain was a total direct experience of the extraordinary and the magical. And she could feel oneness, and she could feel interconnection, and she felt intuitive. And all that was really coming from the side of the brain that's not about thinking. It's about movement, and it's about creativity, and it's about art and music. And 
And typically that's where we all find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I do think what you said there, too, uh, you alluded back a little while ago to interfaith, and I do think there's some sense that interfaith can lead us more to the to the mystical because we have that openness to just sort of step back from what we're hearing from the external world and go into the heart and, and really begin to experience it. And part of, I guess, what you're talking about is Labeling, you know, what, how we label what experiences we have, how we name them. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a very big part of it. And, you know, the trap is that we, we live in a, if you live in a Western culture like I do in America or Canada or, you know, somewhere in Europe, uh, we really live in a culture and a society that has come to value uh, information uh, for almost from a scientific kind of perspective, meaning the more things we can label and control, the more things we can identify and enumerate, the better off we are. Well, you know, that's good for some things, but that's not good for everything. In fact, it's funny, it reminds me when I used to do business consulting. Um, because I had a background in healthcare, I did a lot of business consulting in healthcare. One of the most common team dynamic problems that we faced in healthcare would be that people would be um, transplanted from one role in an organization to another, and they would try to transfer their skills unsuccessfully. Perfect example, there was a team at a cancer center, and this this sort of award-winning, the city's favorite radiologist was promoted to be the, the, the director of this program and department. Well, this man's skill was all about precision. It was about perfect measurements. It was about uh, paying attention to every little detail, and it was about having as much control as possible over what he did because it was a science. The problem is human beings are more art than science. And all of a sudden, he's in charge of people, and he starts imposing the same lens, the same expectations, the same worldview, and, you know, starts treating people like numbers, starts expecting everyone to behave like computers and machines, and, of course, it was mutiny. Everyone hated him. The, 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 The big hero of the program became everyone's worst nightmare overnight, and in a, in a very strong parallel... I think that that's what's happened in many parts of our culture. We've taken a great gift, which is science and all that comes with it, math and chemistry and physics and the ability to measure and control and predict, but then we've tried to translate it into all other spheres of life, education and leadership and, and parenting and, and, even, and even self-judgment. And we are far more like works of art. We are far more like the wild nature than we are like computer programs, mm-hmm. you know, which frequently crash anyway, by the way. <laughs> by the way, yes, they do. Okay, well, we're going to take a break in just a minute, but I want to I want to um, at least get a start on this. You know, you talk in your book about the 12 roads to spiritual awakening and how people can find the path that they're most connected to. Uh, let's start with this last part of that, finding the path that you're most connected to. And again, we just have a minute or two left, but and before the break. But if we say um, looking inside, backing away, is that a part of how people can find the path they're most connected to, or what would you say to that? 
Well, I guess to start off with something simple before we go to our break, the first thing I like to point out to people is that we all have unique spiritual personalities. And that means we're not all going to be attracted to the same practices. We're not all going to be attracted to the same traditions. And so those basic spiritual personalities are people who tend to be mind-oriented, like they're thinkers, body-oriented, they love to move and be in the body, they're heart-oriented, meaning they're feelers, they need an emotional component, and then the soul-oriented, those people that are, are really wanting to strip away all the other elements so they can find out what their essential nature is. If we use that as our starting point, that some of us are more mental, some more emotional, some more physical, and some more spiritual, in our basic attractions and motivations, okay, then so we can start talking about what those 12 practices are. Okay. So right after the break, we're going to do that, and we're going to talk some more about how you can find your truest spiritual path. We'll be back in just a moment. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house since it's closer? Should we pick a place to meet? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 
1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living. This is Andrea Matthews, and we're talking today to Dr. Jonathan Ellerby. And what we've been talking about is his book, Return to the Sacred. And just before the break, we mentioned the, the possibility that people can begin to find the path that they're most connected to by recognizing what they sort of, sort of their personality type leans to, whether they're thinkers or whether they're body types or heart types or soul types. Do I have that right, Dr. Ellerby? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I can't tell you how many times I'll be doing a, a you know, like a public talk at a bookstore or or I'll see a private client and and someone will say to me, "I need your help with my practice. I am trying meditation. I've been trying meditation for a long time now and I don't get it." And I'll say, "Well, you know, what's wrong? How's it going?" And they'll say, "Well, I'll tell you how it's going. It's awful." I can't control my mind. I hate the practice. It feels so unnatural. All my friends like it. And you know what? Now I hate them. <laughs> or they'll say the same thing about yoga. Or they'll say the same thing about church. And then they say, what's wrong with me? And I say, there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe that's just not the path for you. Mm-hmm. And then the light bulb goes off. You mean I don't have to force myself to meditate anymore? no, no, why why don't you try something different? What do you love? So then what they might reveal, well, I love uh, love dancing, or I love music, right? So these are very physical things. I'll say, okay, try a practice that's more physical, a body-centered practice. So that could be something like a movement practice, like yoga or tai chi, or walking a labyrinth, you know, like in church. Uh, it could be something like being in a choir, toning, chanting, singing. It could be something like um, having ritual in your life, creating a little daily pattern of lighting a candle and saying a prayer, sitting in a special place where you're working with, with space and time, or maybe you go to ceremonies, you know, Shabbat services or, or, or Catholic Mass or whatever your culture or tradition is. So there are things for you if you are body-oriented. And actually, movement, sound, and ceremony are the three that I like to call the three master paths that appeal to people that are more body types. Okay. But then there's others that are more, you know, their aptitude is in the mind. They like to problem-solve and think, think things through. So they're they're mind oriented. They you know you know it's you if you're if you love to read and you love you know to attend lectures. You know one of the best ways to know actually uh, what your type is. You go to a lecture on spirituality. If you feel like you, you like halfway through, you just need to get up and move. You're going to go crazy if you have to sit there any longer. You probably are a body type. Mm-hmm. If you just hang on every word and you're writing notes and you're stimulated by the ideas, you're probably a mind type. If you're listening, but, you know, it's not emotional enough, it's not pulling at your heartstrings, doesn't speak to you, then you know you're a heart type. And, you know, the soul types may enjoy a lecture, um, but ultimately they want to get to the essence and they'll get bored with anything that's not getting to the core. 
So if you want, we could talk about some of the other master paths or, or, or go in another direction. Yeah, I think that would be great. That's a good segue to just move into some of the other master paths that you talked about in your book. I do think, I want to say this, though, I do think uh, that the listeners really heard that because I think that's just vital to to connecting to uh, the authentic path for each individual because we tend to think that, like you said a little while ago, there's one way to be spiritual. Meditation is the way right now. And just knowing that we can be free to decide what works for us really could set people free to find their own path. So I really appreciate what you said there. I want to let our listeners know that. Well, and I think another piece, you know, before before we get back to the paths, um, another piece that I found in my interfaith ministry work was that people would often come feeling confused about their traditions. And by that I mean there are people who don't want to leave their religion. They're just not finding what they need in it. So they think, oh, gosh, if I'm a Christian but I want to, I like meditation, do I have to become a Buddhist? If I'm Christian but I like yoga, do I have to become a Hindu? And what a lot of people don't understand is that the 12 master paths, the diversity of spiritual personalities, are satisfied in all of our traditions. Now, it might not be what dominates the tradition, and it might not be what was obvious where you grew up. You know, for me, for example, nature is a very big part of my spiritual path. I happen to be Jewish and growing up, you know, all my services that I went to were in synagogue, and, you know, here they were talking about the history and the temple and God, and there just wasn't enough nature in it for me, and I felt like I needed to to find another tradition or or find teachers from other traditions that would help me make that connection, And, and it just so happened almost by some strange synchronicity, I did end up meeting a Native American elder who who did draw me into a great connection to spirituality in nature. But, you know, years later, when I made the commitment to to look deeper into my own culture, I found all kinds of teachings and practices in the Old Testament and in the what we call the Babylonian Talmud and Kabbalah and all these other traditional Jewish places that were about nature, that were giving me what I thought wasn't there. It's just that I didn't know to ask. I didn't know where to look. So if someone's listening and they're saying, well, yeah, but I'm already in a faith tradition. Don't ask me to suddenly become something different. I'm not. I'm saying that your tradition is richer than you yet know. And if you're not feeling stimulated, look for that other dimension because it's there. Absolutely. Well said. Very well said. And that gets back down to what you said a little while ago about sort of the mystical part of it. There is a mystical element to just about all religions in the world. Isn't that true? Uh, Absolutely. You know, the only challenge, of course, is that many of the mystical teachers became tagged as heretics while they were alive. And then eventually they became saints and they became, you know, gurus and so on. But you know, at the time, that the, the problem of the mystic is they feel that, that the sacred is the experience of the sacred, that God, spirit, consciousness, whatever you call it, the mystic knows that that ultimate reality is more important than the vehicle that took you to it. Mm-hmm. And when someone comes back from the mountain or the desert and they say, hey, 
you don't need the old way because this is there for everyone. Or they say, God is a part of me, or I'm a part of God. Well, people think they're crazy. You know, they think that they're claiming to be God. Right. But to me, there's a little twist of language that we need to be aware of. To say, I am God, sounds egocentric. But if someone said, God is also me, well, that might sound a little more palatable. You know, God is in me. But when you feel God in you so directly, that is the exclamation, oh my gosh, it's like, I am God. I am a part of the fabric of creation. I am a part of that ultimate spirit or consciousness. And that's when people get on the phone and say, call the hospital, he thinks he's God. (laughs) You know, and then of course, 100 years later, 300 years later, they start reading the writings, and all of a sudden, you know, whether it's Jesus or Muhammad or Guru Nanak or Baha'u'llah or Krishna or whoever it is in time, we, we see the timelessness of that realization. But it, it threatens. It definitely threatens. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so when we get down to really trying to understand our own spirituality, what you would say then, and just to kind of summarize that part of it just before the break again, is is that we really need to first get in touch with who we are yeah. as people so that we can begin to understand our particular form of recognition of the sacred. And then we need to be able to sort of sort through the distinctions from what we hear from the external world about um, what is true and what is uh, what is commonly true on the surface of religion and then what is the depth understanding of that religion. Yeah, absolutely. And some people would say, well, that sounds self-centered. That sounds narcissistic, saying, look at yourself first before listening to to the minister or the rabbi or whoever. Well, no, because who put yourself in you? (laughs) Who gave you that unique spirit and personality? It was this higher power or this sacred mystery. So really, to not listen to yourself first, to me, is really to dishonor our very creator, to dishonor our very sacred origin. Well said. Thank you very much for saying it just that way. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment after the break. This is Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. We'll be back in just a moment. Listening on a Higher Dimension. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It's a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my PhD in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 
650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Fiction seeping into reality. Reality transfigured by fiction. A monument of wonders. Conspire with host and creator Roy Dean Doty as he shares readings, commentary, music, and interviews on the multimedia epic that'll change the way you think forever. A Monument of Wonders, a place where time is a honeycomb, where language spawns the fantastic, where consciousness is exploded, one inspired mind at a time. Escape the stricture of the soundbite film clip world. Enter a Monument of Wonders. Wonder is miracle. Wonder is life. Wonder is power. Fridays, 11 a.m. to noon Pacific Time on the 7th Wave. Are you in? Awakened Media for a Transforming World. 7th Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with our final segment of Authentic Living today, talking to Dr. Jonathan Ellerby about his book, Return to the Sacred. And we've been talking about how, a pe- how people can actually connect to sacredness and then to the sacred. So I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about that some more. But before we go to, to that, I want to tell our listeners how they can get in touch or learn more about you and your work on your website. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so my website is hopefully pretty easy to remember. It's just returntothesacred.com. That's www.returntothesacred.com. Of course, you can always Google Jonathan Ellerby if you can figure out how to re- spell my name, um, and I'm pretty easy to find that way as well. At returntothesacred.com, what I try to do is you know, of course, you'll find my bio and information about my book and CD set. But you're, you're also going to find some stuff that's just for free, you know, because I think we should always be trying to share with people and not always take from people. So you'll find some links to some valuable websites. You, you'll find an article or two that I've posted, uh, some links to some, some, you know, blogs and videos and stuff like that. I've got a number of teaching sessions on YouTube and so on. So uh, hopefully you'll find something interesting. And, and I do, you know, do workshops. I'll be at Omega on the 10th, 11th, and 12th of July. I'm actually at a really special place in Canada called Hollyhock at the first week of September, and, I, and I'm, I'm always at Canyon Ranch. So, you know, lots of ways to get involved and connected. All right. And you mentioned uh, earlier during one of the breaks that you have a spiritual survey personality. Yes, I'm glad you asked. I would love... For everyone listening, to check out what we're doing online, it's, it's, I think it's kind of fun, and I think it's really interesting. And you can get there through my website, returntothesacred.com. There's a little icon or a big icon to click on this, take the spiritual sur- spirituality survey, 
or you can go direct to thespiritualitysurvey.com. What it is, it's four simple questions that are really intended to help us get a clearer picture of what people in America really believe today. When we see polls that list how many people are Christian, how many people are atheistic, and so on, that doesn't really tell us what they believe. That just tells us what box they fit in. But there's a lot of atheists who believe perhaps not in God, but that there is an energy that pervades all things. There are Christians, you know, who believe that maybe, you know, Christ isn't the only path. But the, the problem is the, the conversation that we have socially about religion and spirituality today has become so awkward because the extremes of religion and science are always, you know, telling us either we don't believe enough or we're foolish for believing. And I think that most of the world, frankly, certainly most of America, I think lives somewhere in the middle. And I think that we're probably more alike than different. And most of us feel that, but we don't have anything where we can point to that and say, look, it is true. So what I'm asking you to do is go to the spiritualitysurvey.com or through my website, take the survey, it takes two minutes, you you don't have to give any personal information. You don't have to download anything. You know, you don't have to buy anything. Just take the survey and then pass it on. And you don't even have to pass it on to people who believe like you do. We genuinely want anyone and everyone to have a voice. Don't let the experts tell you what America believes. Use your own voice. Share your own perspective. Very good. Very cool. All right, so I want to give the the, uh, the listeners just a little bit of a taste of the 12 Roads to Spiritual Awakening that you talk about in um, Return to the Sacred. So can we do a brief overview yeah. of that? Of course. So um, here's a little cheat that I'm going to give everyone. seems like giving it away a bit. But if you go to Amazon.com, you look up the book Return to the Sacred and then hit the preview, you'll see in my table of contents, the 12 master paths outlined. So if you're driving or, you know, I don't know, you're somewhere, you know, listening to this or a recording of this or whatever, and, um, you know, you, you can't write it down, then, of course, you could just go look it up online. It's, it's there for you. But the 12 master paths, we started on them already. We talked about the three body paths, and that is movement, sound, and ceremony. We were just about to get into the three mind paths. That's meditation. Prayer, the conscious use of our thoughts to be in conscious contact with a higher power. I also include affirmations and intention setting as a part of prayer. Or sacred study. And sacred study is really about putting the heart into the process of, of, the, of a dedicated kind of reading of scripture or, or, or working with a particular body of knowledge or wisdom. We then move into the pathways of the heart. The first is the devotional path. So that's people who have a personal relationship to God. That looks something like having a shrine to, you know, Jesus or Mary or Krishna or, you know, Buddha in your home. That's a personal, devoted relationship, a loving, adoring relationship with that personification of a higher power. But then for some people, it's not a personal thing they see the sacred in the world. So service is the second of those three. And that means giving selflessly of ourselves 
to the help and healing of others in the world. So it could be volunteering, for example. The third is working with a mentor or a guru. And this is not about a top-down relationship where we're lining the pockets of some expert who is out buying Rolls Royces. This is about an intimate relationship that is loving, that is connected, that is passionate and compassionate. My mentor, you know, really became like my second father. So finally, we go into the pathways of the soul. And these three are first the ascetic path. The ascetic paths are like paths of renunciation. These are practices where we do without. Okay, so this could be like a weekend retreat where it's a silent retreat. It could be spending a period of time alone at a maybe a cabin in the woods or or taking a room at a at a monastery or something because they do often rent out space. Um, it could be in modern times. It could be a fast for a day, you know, where you're doing a juice fast and and dedicating your focus to readings and meditations. It could be a media fast, no telephone, computer, or electronics for a weekend. But it's all about doing without the regular stimulation of life so we can find out what lies behind it. The death path does not sound appealing to anyone, but it's, it's really just about cultivating an honest, open, loving relationship with with death and, and the truth of our mortality. And this could look like volunteering at a hospice center. It could look like doing some readings or meditations on uh, working with people who are dying or even the process of dying itself. And it sounds uncomfortable to people, but when we face that finality, it actually brings us into a greater relationship with life. So it's a very powerful uh, path. And finally, the life path, which is a good one to end on. The life path is the one that most people claim to be on, but I'd say is the hardest of all to do well, and that's the path in which you make every moment of your life your spiritual practice. That means your disappointments, your challenges, your enemies, all these things are your greatest teachers. And and really, the, the opportunity lies in some of the the hardest things you'll ever face to draw out those great qualities, to look for the sacred, and to live with respect and integrity. Now that is a challenging path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's the challenge we all have if we're alive, I guess, huh? (laughs) That's it. But you know, why save it for one day a week? Why save it for an hour in the evening? You know, ultimately, I believe the other 11 paths are to help cultivate our awareness, our self-knowledge, and our intentions Okay, well, so we can carry it into our everyday life. And I'm going to have to cut you short there. I'm so sorry. We're, That's all right. That is so beautifully said, and I really appreciate you being here today to talk with our listeners. Next week we're going to have Dr. Larry Dossey uh, on the show talking about his latest book, The Power of Premonitions. So till then, don't forget, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.